Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we are here to wrap up the fifth weekend of college baseball from around the country. It was a pretty exciting weekend, uh, all things considered. Not, not even all things considered. It's just a pretty exciting weekend. You had the number one team in the country, Notre Dame, getting swept by Louisville. Really loud statement from the Cardinals. You had the start of conference play for the SEC, for Conference USA, for the Big West. Uh, the ACC had a lot of things going on. Uh, it was it was just a fun weekend. If you uh, if you squeeze some college baseball in this weekend, I'm sure you came away pretty uh, pretty enjoyed it with, with with what you got. So we're going to break all of that down here today on the Baseball America College Podcast. Uh, and Joe, we, uh, we we we've. We had a great weekend of college baseball. I, I understand that there was uh, some basketball being played and maybe the NFL had some news, but uh, it was uh, it was a great weekend of college baseball. Indeed, it was. Uh, yeah, there was some there was some basketball. I, I did hear a little something about that. And I I did uh, I did partake a little bit in the uh, in the basketball here and there um, to the point where I post this in our B.A. Slack. But I uh, I've learned. <laughs> To, to give listeners an idea, there was that podcast I missed a couple weeks ago. I was I was pretty pretty under the weather with a with a pretty bad cold, and that was during conference tournament week. And so I watched a lot of basketball that week because I was just laying on the couch. And so that in the NCAA tournament now, I watched a decent amount of basketball in the last few weeks, and I've learned. And I I don't know why I hadn't made this connection before, but I, I've learned. And I'm curious while I say this, Teddy, for like the baseball equivalent of this. So in football you've got these kind of like super uh, um, in, in terms of the way they would, would approach a game, like football announcers tend to be like a pretty conservative lot. Like they want you to always kick the field goal in the red zone, you know, take the points they say, or, you know, punt if you're, you know, on your end of the field and it's fourth and three, like they're always going to want you to punt. And I found that the basketball equivalent of that is announcers always want, if a team is chasing points late, they always want the teams to quote, get a quick two instead of settle for a three and extend the game. That's like the, they're just go-to. They always want the most conservative thing there, which is I ah, just get a quick two and let's foul again. And like, keep playing this, this chasing points game into perpetuity. It seems like, and I was thinking about like what the baseball equivalent of that, like maybe it's something to do with like moving runners over maybe. Yeah, it's 100% um, that or beating the shift. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be one of those two things. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that, you know, I feel like baseball being the sport that it is for better or for worse has maybe moved announcers along a little quicker from that kind of talking point, um, no, or at least so. maybe <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think what it is now is I think what I would say now is that I think even the announcers who are big, you know, get them on, get them over, get them in type of people are just aware that that's a larger debate in baseball now. And so I think maybe they're just, they go into that prepared to debate that point right away. Whereas, you know, basketball announcers say, I oh, get a quick two or football announcers say, Oh, take the points. And they really don't get a lot of argument on that. <laughs> like, it's just kind of like given as gospel a little bit. Uh, maybe that's where the difference is, but you're right. It's, it probably has not abated at all, but, um, but I was just prepared to exclusively report that I have solved what the basketball version of this is. And that's everybody wants, everybody wants a quick two. Um, well, the uh, the good news is Joe Buck uh, is a is a great podcast listener here to the Baseball America College. That's podcast. right. So uh, Joel, Joel, let me know um, 
we'll uh, we'll have an answer for you on Thursday. Uh, so we'll we'll see what he says. That's right. Um, ESPN's new Monday Night Football announcer is uh is I believe the the report That's right. goes. We're in the wrong. Maybe business. Troy Aikman has some thoughts too. Huh? Maybe. Yeah, we're we're uh, we are certainly. What I've learned from that is that uh, you know I went to college to be a broadcaster, and uh, boy, I should have stuck with that. You know, I, uh, shifting to the writing thing was, was apparently the wrong move based on the, uh, the types of salaries that are getting thrown around these days. Oof. Not that they don't good for them. Like I am all for people in media get like securing the bag, but, uh, man, Tony Romo really, really set that market high. No doubt about that. Well, I don't know how to transition us back to uh, no, I, back yeah, to the that's, game. that's back, that's, back that's the rough. Show, uh, j- but j- yes, it was a good weekend because <laughs> <laughs> a little further afield than uh, than I know how to get back from. So I'll just say, let's go to Louisville um, this weekend. The 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 biggest loudest statement came came from Louisville, where the Cardinal swept Notre Dame. Uh, it was a pretty compelling series, from what I could tell. Uh, I wasn't there, obviously. I was I was in Baton Rouge, but uh, in checking in on the series, it, it always seemed to be pretty compelling. There was a crazy. It was a it was a crazy start to the weekend there, as Louisville beat Notre Dame sixteen to eleven. That that was just kind of a wild back and forth affair uh, that Notre Dame pulled away late on. They then won. And clinched the series with an eight-one win on Saturday, and eight to one sounds like they had a you know healthy margin and they were in control all game. Well, it wasn't like that. It was one to one until uh, Louisville scored seven in the eighth. Uh, but again, they they were able so they they won they won a shootout in the first game. They won a pitcher's duel, which turned into not a pitcher's duel late, but they they won that in game two. And then in game three, they they came back. Uh, they were down in the eighth inning. They they get a, a three-run homer in, in the eighth inning with two outs uh, to go on to a seven-to-five win, get a sweep, and what a start to uh, to ACC play for Louisville as uh, as as they sweep the Irish. And you know their their offense had been really good uh, going into this weekend. They ranked third in the country in scoring. Uh, but they were facing a very, very good pitching staff in Notre Dame. That was Notre Dame had the second best ERA in the nation going into this weekend, and Louisville's bats definitely won the won the matchup there. Yeah, no doubt about that. At this point, um, you know they really did the thing to Notre Dame that we were kind of waiting on a team to do to Notre Dame last year, and just never happened. I guess until the Super Regional against the future, what turned out to be national champions. But we we kind of. The, with the way Notre Dame pitched last year where they were using really six guys and it was mostly pitched to contact guys. And, and we kind of just kept looking around, like, is any, is anybody going to, going to do anything against them? And they just really never did. And this was the type of weekend that I always last year and to Notre Dame's credit didn't happen, but I always kind of assumed what happened and never did. And this year, you know, pretty early in the season, we've had that kind of weekend, even though Notre Dame's pitching staff is I think better this year than it was last year on the whole, because they, they do have some different looks this year that Louisville really just um, was able to punish their, their pitching. And to your point, you know, the middle game, for example, John Michael Bertrand was pretty solid and they got to the bullpen, but, um, but on the whole, they really had a field day with, with Notre Dame's pitching. And I think, you know, the Louisville is well on its way to, 
um, to, to making me just dead wrong. You know, I said that after I saw them in Tampa, I, I was like, I'm not, I'm just not convinced that this offense is like an Omaha level offense. Um, and that was, you know, that it's so far that has been their worst weekend. So I, you know, I guess I just saw it a bad time and, you know, in hindsight also, you know, UConn's pitching staff really good. Um, you know, so uh, I guess there may be some reasons for that, but they are on the way to kind of making me, making me be wrong there. Um, this, this lineup has been really, really good. It was really good over the weekend. They hit over 300 as a team on the weekend, uh, took advantage of some, uh, free passes issued by Notre Dame pitching. What I was right about in the, from the start though, is I've always said that I wasn't sure this lineup's high end was, you know, an Omaha lineup, but from the beginning, it has been clear that this is a lineup that's going to do a lot of different things pretty well. And I think you do still see that where they've got some power, but they've also got some guys who are dynamic and in, in typical Louisville fashion are going to run the bases and, and make things happen on the bases. And they've got some interchangeable pieces. So I I think I've always liked that from the start, but being this type of offense was not necessarily something that, that I saw early. Additionally, I would say that I think just as big a development, <clears throat> excuse me, just as big a development over the weekend was, you know, the pitching performance of Jared Poland. Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot coming into the season about what can we expect on the Louisville pitching staff after last year, we learned that we couldn't expect anything from the Louisville pitching staff because it was so up and down, but um, they've been fairly solid. It feels like that's firming up and, and to have Jared Poland, a guy who has had an extremely up and down career. I think that's to put it, to put it mildly um, to do what he did with the seven shutout innings and 10 strikeouts. Um, you know, I think is a, a huge step for this, this pitching staff as they continue to try to figure out exactly who they are. Um, it's a pitching staff that if, Hey, if the offense continues to hit like this, they're not going to have to be um Excellent. They're just going to have to be pretty good. And over the weekend, they were pretty good and showed signs of in spots being excellent. Yeah, the, uh, the offense is definitely multiple, as they would say in, in football. I mean, you have Christian Napsik, who's their leading hitter, and he's hitting 427 and has 11 stolen bases. And, uh, you know, Louisville under Dan McDonald wants to run, wants to be aggressive, wants to force the issue on the bases. And with, you know, Napsik at the, the, you know, having the kind of on base success that he he is like that that's definitely happening with him and they've got some other guys with speed but then they also have you know good power in there ben metziger is up to nine homers he homered this weekend cam masterman has six and uh dalton rushing has five uh they they've just got a lot of of different ways they can beat you and you know dan mcdonald at the end of the weekend wasn't thrilled with uh you know the way that they ran the bases even so you know i i know that you know, you're always going to be looking for ways to improve, but, you know, he, and he takes that very personally because that's, that's kind of like his area of the offense that, that he works with, uh, you know, but having scored all the runs that they scored this weekend, you know, he's still looking at it and like, well, maybe we could have had more. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you mentioned Poland, he was outstanding. Michael Prosecki has been really good establishing himself as a closer, which is, always been a hallmark of a great Louisville pitching staff is that they have a lockdown guy at the back end. Prosecchi has six saves this season. You know, it seems like he's really settling into that, into that role. Um, you know, so I, you have to be very impressed with the way Louisville played uh, the, to, to go out and get this sweep. And, you know, to, to your point, Joe, like they didn't play that great on opening weekend. 
they know that. And, you know, sometimes that happens to Louisville. They, you know, they are a Northern team pretty generally, and they always go out and, and play on the road. And, you know, you just never know how that, that weekend's going to go. But they went back home after, after opening weekend, got right, got right kind of out of the, out of the spotlight because the way, because they weren't ranked in opening or, you know, in, in the preseason, because the way the opening weekend went, nobody was really paying that much attention to Louisville on a, on a national basis. And, you know, they got right against teams that, you know, nobody was going to be paying attention to them for playing. It was Dartmouth and Akron the first, first two weeks back home. And, you know, the, but they used that to build the momentum. They, uh, then they beat TCU and they beat Michigan and they built into this, the, the start of ACC play and, and they come out and, and they're ready to go. And, and they, uh, you know, they go out and they beat the reigning ACC champs. I mean, it, it, it was, uh, it was really well done, but the, the kind of growth that, that Louisville has seen over the last month. Yeah. I mean, this is a, I think this also is a type of series where, because I think, you, you know, you and I clearly, and you know, we still have Notre Dame ranked 11th. I mean, just outside the top 10 ahead of Louisville pointedly. Right. So we still think a lot of Notre Dame. So I think for Louisville, I think this is the type of series that can really, um, change the trajectory of what they're capable of. Now, obviously, that's not going to be determined by us. That's going to be determined by them, you know, and how many games they win. But in terms of perception, like, I really do think this changes from, I don't think we were thinking, especially now to the first weekend of the season, even going into the series. I think you and I probably, if you'd have really pinned us down and forced us to, to guess what Louisville is, I, I think we would have said, well, this is probably a two-seed in a regional, like, not really sure they can host. But even even if we were to be doubters at this point and we're not based on what we've seen, but even if we were doubters at this point, you'd have to say, well, I mean, just based on them winning all the games we should expect them to win in the ACC, having swept Notre Dame is just a real resume changer. So it's still early to be doing that hardcore analysis like that, but there's no denying that it really does kind of change the trajectory of what they're capable of from an ACC record standpoint and from a resume building standpoint. Uh, Before we move on to the Notre Dame side of this. I, I will say as good as Notre Dame played this weekend, um, you know, I mentioned Dan McDonald, you know, pointed out that he felt like they could have run the bases a bit better. I'll also say Louisville can tighten up its defense. Uh, they made five errors uh, on the weekend. They're fielding 963 this year. Like that's, that's rather unlike Louisville as well. If they can, again, if they can tighten that, they'll be in a better spot. Uh, Louisville's also played just one true road game this year. Uh, so we'll see how they handle going on the road because this is a team that always plays really well at Jim Patterson Stadium. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see what it looks like in, in true road settings. Uh, we'll see a true road setting this, this week as, as they go to BC, uh, you know, but the, there will be tougher road tests down the line. And uh, I'll just be curious about that. But, you know, right now uh, they're, they're looking outstanding. And while they still have have some things that they want to work on, so does literally every team in the country. And uh, Louisville has to be happy right now, sitting at, at sixteen and four following that weekend. Uh, okay, Joe. So from the Notre Dame standpoint, this was a pretty significant setback. They had been flying into the into the weekend uh, at twelve and one. They you know, were the, they had the best defense in the country. They ranked second in the nation in ERA. 
and and that got punctured in a, in a pretty big way this weekend. You know, Louisville dropping 16 runs on Friday, and uh, Notre Dame had a lot of uh, issues just in terms of of controlling uh, you know the strike zone. They, they walked far too many batters this weekend. That's part of the reason why Louisville was able to to pile up the runs that they piled up. But you know, as as bad as this looks. It also was a situation where Notre Dame had a chance to win at least two of these three games. Um, you know, they had a chance to come back against Louisville uh, on, on Friday, but you know they were down seven going into the seventh inning. I think it was so that that one would have been tough. But you know, they're they're tied at one in the eighth on Saturday, uh, and Louisville gets a great play from third baseman Ben Metzinger to keep the game tied. Uh, and then, you know, Louisville flips it in the, in the bottom of the eighth, you know, if, if Notre Dame maybe gets that run to push ahead, you know, how does that change, change the dynamic of the last couple innings of that game. And then they're winning the game on, on Sunday in the eighth inning. Uh, and, and Louisville isn't, or Louisville doesn't go quietly and, and they, they go on to, to win the game. So I, it, it was one of those series where, yeah, it was a sweep, but you could have you could easily have imagined the result being much different. It just wasn't, and you know Notre Dame now has to go and, and figure out why Louisville got the big hits, got the clutch plays, and, and they didn't. Yeah, I can't. I mean, that, I'm with you in that. I think there's a, a charitable interpretation of this series that says that you know Notre Dame was really you know, getting a couple of outs away from having this be a different, a different outcome, you know, and in the finale that just not giving up a three run home run to Isaac Humphrey late, you know, you get him out instead of allowing that. And it's a different, different ball game. And we're, yeah, that was a two about, out homer too. Yeah. That, yeah. So, I mean, you just, you know, you, there were just one or two plays that, that really changed the entire trajectory of that series. And that's obviously the, that's the loser's lament, right? It's like, well, we were just, we were so close, you know, cause like we could do this any number of games, but um, I, I do think it rings, it rings true here. There's a reason why we, we didn't really hammer Notre Dame here. Um, you know, history being a part of it too, right? I mean, this, this is a team that we, we had a lot of belief in coming into the season, but I, I find it interesting that one of the, from a, just a narrative perspective, which I, I hate to use that phrase in narrative perspective, but it just sounds so smarmy, but I, I, I do think it is interesting that, for this Notre Dame team, I mean, this is, I think, you know, the, the big um, speed bump they hit last year was just in the super regionals. Then your season is over. Right. I mean, that's just the finality of that, but this is really over the last two years, the first time, and you could even throw 2020 in there, even though it was obviously a very short season, this is really kind of um, in terms of adversity in season. Like this is really the first opportunity, unless I'm just missing an obvious example from last year. I mean, this is really the first time we're going to get to see Notre Dame and this group really deal with in-season adversity in the form of wins and losses. That's not to say it was always easy necessarily because we don't know what goes inside on inside those four walls, but they've just never the last two years have haven't had a series like this and we, we haven't seen how they bounce back and what they do about it. And I just find that endlessly fascinating because it's a test for a team that we know pretty well at this point, because it, it is largely the same group of guys. Um, this is something we've not really seen them had to deal with. No, under link Jarrett, Notre Dame has not 
th this hasn't happened. They they lost a series last year to Florida State. It was their only series loss. They didn't lose a series in 2020. Um, obviously, very brief season, but you know that that didn't happen. So this is only the third time, if you count supers, that you know Link, Link Jarrett has lost a series at Notre Dame, and it, it's the the first time that they've been swept and. It, last year when they lost to Florida State, Notre Dame was already pretty secure at the top of the ACC. I don't remember precisely what the standings said at the time, but you know they were in first place when that series started last year, and I'm pretty sure they were still in first place even after the the Knowles won that series. Uh, this is this is a different deal, and Notre Dame has a chance this weekend. They go home. They haven't really been home much yet. They've played one home game so far this season, and they go home this week for five games, the Tuesday, the weekend series, and then the following midweek game is, is a home game. Uh, they got to get right this week against Northwestern and Virginia Tech. If they do that, if they just take advantage of, of the, the chance to play a home weekend for the first time all, all season, you know, I, I think this doesn't have to be anything more than a speed bump for uh for notre dame but they can't let it linger they, they can't let louisville beat them twice as they say and uh all the rest of that but i they, they clearly have some things to that got exposed this weekend to to work on and you know we'll just have to see uh what what the irish do you know going forward uh with all of that uh okay so with notre dame losing that means there's a new number one team the baseball america top 25 for the second week in a row uh, Ole Miss moves up to number one. Ole Miss this weekend opened SEC play with a series win at Auburn. The Rebs are 15 and four overall. Uh, they go on the road, win, win that series at Auburn. It was a kind of weird offensive series. Uh, Ole Miss won blowouts on Thursday and Saturday, bookending an Auburn blowout win of their own. Uh, in the middle game, it was just one of those series uh, down there on the plains. But uh, Ole Miss gets it done. They 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 win uh, thirteen to six and fifteen to two. The loss was a nineteen to five loss, and I, in in some ways that is who Ole Miss is right now. They're a super offensive team. Have to love the lineup. Still working through some things on the mound. I don't know. We've talked about Ole Miss before. This weekend was kind of everything that Ole Miss has been this year. Um, and uh, you know they uh, they get it done uh, thanks to uh, a, a really good team offensive performance. You know if, if you look at the Ole Miss stat sheet, it's no one guy is really having a, a, an amazingly standout season. They're they're just like eight or nine guys having really really strong seasons to this point. Yeah, I think you, I think you put it right. Where this this series was everything that that Ole Miss has been so far this season. You know everything that's that makes them a, a contender for an SEC title and everything that makes their fan base probably pretty nervous and makes them vulnerable against the right teams, right? Um, they scored a whole bunch of runs, and then they had one game where they gave up a whole bunch of runs. And it, because it was an Auburn team that's not really ready to compete at the same level, that was enough on this on this weekend. Them being number one strikes me as the type of it's the type of situation where you know, they, they've, they earned being number one because they continue to win series. And also because we thought a lot of them coming into the season. So they started the season ranked high. 
They are not necessarily number one because the resume suggests that they are the number one team in the country. But at this I mean, point, I, I think it doesn't they are, suggest that they're not though. Like that, you can find teams that have bigger, louder wins on their resume. But this is a team that went on the road to to UCF, uh, went on the road to Auburn. There aren't that many high end teams like this that have four true road wins against major comp major conference competition. Right. Yeah. It's uh, the thing about it is though is that they'll have. You know, if if this team is the number one team in the country, I mean, it, it is in a literal sense right now. But if this team is really the type of team that can actually be a you know a defending number one as opposed to just a moving up into number one, you know, a home series against Tennessee is a good way to prove it. And that's what they've got coming. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, at the end of the week in the preview podcast. But, um, a, you know, a team that that will have its opportunities to prove what <laughs> what it is and isn't. And, and so far, they've. They've they've just done enough, um, and so that offense continues to roll, even though it you know it hasn't been easy. They've once again dealt with with injuries, but they're kind of getting um, you know they're getting some performances from some guys that maybe they weren't necessarily banking on. And when you and I had Mike Bianco on the podcast uh, over the off season back in the fall, one of the good problems to have situations that he had is you know we've probably got guys that that we would love to get. You know, there are guys we'd love to get at bats that I just don't know that we're going to be able to get at bats for. And a couple of the guys that he mentioned were, you know, Kemp Alderman and, and Reagan Burford. Um, Alderman, I think he thought of as more of somebody who was penciled in somewhere. But Burford was a guy that he seemed like he was already lamenting the fact that it just may not be in the cards for him to get a lot of at bats. And, and lo and behold, those two guys have been right in the middle of it uh, for them. So a lot of depth and that, that really plays in the sec where you're just, you're going to get a little bit beat up and guys are going to go through slumps. And so they're really set up well from that standpoint. Um, the pitching obviously is, is more of an open question and feels like the kind of thing that they're just going to be tinkering with until basically right up until the end of the season. Yeah. And I, I, it, it should be surprising that Ole Miss is trying to figure some things out on the mound. They lost Doug McKay, Gunnar Hugland and, Taylor Broadway from last year's team. So that's your top two starters and your closer, all of whom pitched at an All-American level. They all three would have been All-Americans if Hoagland had stayed healthy. You know, he was a first-round draft pick. Uh, those guys are all gone. Um, they are, are still trying to, to figure out how the pieces fit together. They got a really nice start from Jack Doherty uh, in the finale on Saturday, making just his second start of the year. He was, he was the best starter. Like, his start was the best start that Ole Miss got on the weekend. They got enough from the bullpen. They're, you're starting to see the pieces they want to use on, in the bullpen. Now they just need either a couple more bullpen pieces or John Gaddis and Derek Diamond, who were the, the first two starters of the series who didn't make it uh, you know, through the fourth inning. They, they need more length from those guys or, again, just more bullpen arms to, to step up. Either one would be fully acceptable. Uh, However, however you get to, to the 27 outs, you know, it's, it, it, there, there are many ways to do it. Obviously they just have to find the right, the right formula. Um, and, you know, to this point they've, they've been able to do it. I uh, just eventually know that they're going to have to, you know, their pitching staff is going to have to pick up the offense. Hasn't happened yet really. Uh, but that day, that day is coming certainly. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see how Ole Miss handles it. Uh, when it when it does, but this is uh, just the second time in program history that 
Ole Miss is ranked uh, number one in the Baseball America Top 25. Last week or last year, it happened coming out of opening weekend, and they uh, they it only lasted one week because they lost a, a home series to UCF. Like Joe mentioned, they have a home series against Tennessee this weekend, uh, a streaking Tennessee club, very impressive Tennessee club. So we'll uh, we'll see what Ole Miss uh, can do with the the number one ranking this year uh, in what looks to be maybe the best series that we've had to this point in, in this college baseball season. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think, you know, this is a, we've, we've had plenty of interesting, surprising, illuminating results already this season. And yet it feels like we, to some degree, I mean, uh, there was some stuff, I guess, opening weekend, but uh, you know, I think specifically like the Oklahoma state Vanderbilt series, which now feels like it happened just ages ago because of everything that's happened since. But it feels like it took us getting into conference play for most everybody at this point and getting a series like this to really, to, to give us that kind of marquee series still feels like, I guess what I'm saying is it still feels like, and perhaps Ole Miss and Tennessee is going to give us that we're, we're still waiting on like our first kind of heavyweight fight weekend series. And I think it probably just took getting into conference play for that to happen because those series, I guess, take on a little bit of a different shape. Um, but it, it does feel like maybe we are in for that this weekend because I, I've kind of felt a little bit, and this is an ethereal thing. It's not really something you can necessarily, um, you know, uh, quantify. That's the word I'm looking for there. But it, it does feel like we, we've gotten to this point of the season and we're, and we're still kind of waiting on that kind of series that really captivates us in the way that this one might this weekend. All right. We'll, uh, We'll talk more about SEC opening weekend. Uh, hopefully we uh, we learned a lot this weekend, I feel like, and we'll, we'll get into all of that here in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Joe, we talked about Ole Miss beating Auburn and Ole Miss moving up to, to number one in the country. They uh, that, that was but one of, of seven SEC series, and we're not going to go through all seven of them. Um, 
But there were, you know, with the start of conference play, there, there were lessons to be learned here uh, in, uh, in SEC play. And for me, the, the lesson number one that we learned, not only this weekend, but this weekend helped drive the point home, I think, is that the SEC West came into the season with four teams ranked in the top 10. Uh, you, you had Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and uh, LSU all in the top 10. As it stands now, Ole Miss is the number one team in the country and Arkansas is sitting at number six. Those two teams have done what they were expected to do. Uh, Mississippi State is unranked. LSU is unranked right now. No other team from the SEC West is in the top 25, let alone in the top 10. It's, it's Ole Miss and Arkansas and that's it. Um, the SEC West last year spent all but one week holding the number one spot in the Baseball America Top 25. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's not there now. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's just a, a very different spot than we thought the, uh, the SEC West was going to be at this point in the year. Uh, yeah, I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's right, to put it, to put it simply. Um, there's just kind of a, with that group, what strikes me is just a real dearth of complete teams. I mean, we just got done talking about Ole Miss is number one. Sure. But like, there are definitely still questions there. Right. I think Arkansas is pretty similar. Although I, I was heartened from an Arkansas standpoint to see what Jackson Wiggins did over the weekend. It seemed like they really just kind of swept can, and I didn't end up watching really much of that series for this reason. Like it just feels like they were very business-like in sweeping Kentucky. They didn't really mess around. There wasn't a whole lot of drama there. And Kentucky's good enough that if you're not really prepared to do that, Kentucky could give you problems. And so I thought that was impressive. But I think that the theme here is kind of that these are just, um, I don't know that in that bunch we talked about that there's a complete team right now in that bunch. And, and some of that is not necessarily their fault, right? If if Mississippi State had a healthy, now they have obviously offensive issues as well, but we came into the season, I think, thinking that that had a chance to be maybe the most well-rounded team of this bunch. Maybe they, did, they certainly didn't have the best offense of the bunch, did Mississippi State. But the combination of a good enough offense and a pitching staff led by Landon Sims gave them the opportunity to be kind of a unit that was without a weakness, even if their strengths weren't as strong as some others. Now, that obviously has not come to pass due to injuries, primarily with Landon Sims, and the offense hasn't been as good as we anticipated perhaps, but to me, it just stands out as a division that doesn't, doesn't really have a complete team yet. And, you know, you start looking at other, like the other side of the sec and, and compare that to a Tennessee team that we also had questions about on the mound, but as we briefly alluded to in the, in the podcast previewing the weekend, like those freshman pitchers, man, like they're really coming on strong for Tennessee. And perhaps that's a team that's a little more well-rounded than we thought. Um, Vanderbilt also kind of quietly, you know, they, they took care of business with Missouri and they haven't really haven't played anybody since Oklahoma state to start the season. And they lost that series, but like, don't look now, but like Carter Holton's numbers as a freshman are incredible for Vanderbilt. And that offense is pretty dynamic as well and can beat you in a lot of different ways. And so you compare the two divisions right now. And, and right now it looks like the East has a couple of teams. Oh, and by the way, that's to say nothing of Florida, which after a series loss to Liberty to begin the season has been pretty solid. The East is looking like it has the teams that are a little more complete than the West right now. Uh, the West is 
kind of fun, you know, just because you never know what to expect out there. And the offenses sure do put up a lot of runs, um, but it just does seem to be lacking in those teams that you really feel comfortable with uh, defining as, as fully formed units. To me, it's not even so much that they're not complete teams because who is a complete team in the country at this point? Uh, you know, we, the, I, I don't know how many complete teams there are out there. You know, yeah, like Tennessee's been good to this point, and uh, we'll definitely talk about the Vols more. And, um, you know, but like there just aren't that many of those teams. It, it's just that, like, the this division that, we expect to be the best in college baseball this year and, and was the best last year just has not has not lived up to that and there, there are various reasons for for why that's been the case but i mean you're looking at a mississippi state team that already has three series losses uh we're five weeks into the year they have three series losses uh you know lsu has two losing weekends AM has two losing weekends auburn has two losing weekends um Alabama has two losing weekends, albeit against Texas and Florida. Uh, you know, th this is just where where the division is. And, and th these teams are all, have all gotten here in, in unique ways. Uh, but uh, it, it, it is just very interesting that we are here, that Ole Miss and Arkansas look like they're going to be fine and look to be very solid teams that can make it all the way to Omaha. Uh, but the you know, the, the, the third, who is the third best team in the SEC West? I, I don't, I don't think we have a, anything close to a firm handle uh, on that. And, you know, I expected instead to be talking about who is the fifth or the sixth best team in the SEC West, not, not who is the third best team. Yeah. It's the, uh, the other thing to remind SEC West fans who might be gripping a little bit about the early results of the season is that, uh, don't forget the, uh, you know, the, because you're in the SEC, uh, all of your big picture goals are still very much attainable because let's not forget that going 16 and 14 in the SEC is sometimes good enough to host. And, um, you know, once you're hosting, you're, you're kind of on the fast track. And, and so, um, there's always, there's always a couple of teams that we get to the midpoint of SEC play. And we're just convinced that, yeah, this team just probably isn't that good this year. And, they kind of back their way into hosting and, and they kind of end up, you know, being right on the doorstep of, of some of their big picture goals they might have come into the season with. So one of the fascinating things that I find about the about the SEC is just that the season takes on this really how to describe it, this really warped shape where um, you can you're really never too far from being uh, right back in the thick of of things and in, in terms of the national conversation you're also like never more than two or three weeks from being buried at the bottom of the standings because um there's really no such thing as we talk in some conferences about oh their schedule is really front loaded or other oh, schedules really back loaded that exists to some degree in the sec however not nearly to the degree it exists in other leagues and so you're never more than just around the corner from your next series that you're probably not going to win you know unless you're really among the elite elite in the country and that's that's what kind of gives the SEC that, you know, the strange shape to their season year after year. All right, we've kind of talked around Tennessee here enough. Let's uh, let's talk falls. Uh, for me, it was one of the most impressive performances of the weekend. You know, we we talked about uh, how good Louisville looked. Well, Tennessee looked incredibly good as well. The opponent wasn't as good. You know, South Carolina wasn't the number one team in the country, but it was a comprehensive sweep. Uh, by Tennessee this weekend of a South Carolina team that was coming off of a series win against Texas. 
the Tennessee offense continues to just mash baseballs. They have 56 homers already this year. They hit 98 last year. And that was a lot. Like that was a very good offense hitting a bunch of home runs. Uh, they're already at 56 in, uh, in, in just 19 games to this point. Uh, so that's loud. But the uh, the to, to me, there are 20 games so far this season, excuse me. But the, the bigger thing to me is how well they've pitched. Uh, last season, they had, you know, an ace in Chad Dallas, who was a top five round pick. They had a relief ace in Sean Hunley, who you know, was an All-American caliber reliever. Um, those guys are gone. They also lost, uh, you know, another starter in Will Heflin to graduation. They came into this season expecting to have Blade Tidwell fronting the rotation. He has yet to pitch this year because of injury. Um, you know, so what they have returning is some key relievers, uh, and those guys like Kirby Connell, Camden Sewell, and Redmond Walsh. You know, they've they've done what you expect them to do. But what what Tennessee has been able to do while turning over the rotation and throwing two freshmen in the rotation and a, a third pitcher in, in Chase Dollander, who uh, you know transferred in. Uh, from Georgia Southern. He's a sophomore. So they're, they're throwing out two freshmen and a sophomore, none of whom have SEC experience. What they did this weekend was was phenomenal. Um, they finished the weekend with a one-hitter uh, in a 10-0 win. Uh, the Vols this weekend held the Gamecocks to five runs on 11 hits. It was it was a superb weekend on the mound. And um, I, that, that, to me, is what uh, most impressed me about th- this weekend for Tennessee. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Um, you know, when when I saw Chase Burns and Drew Beam in Houston at the at that tournament there, they both threw the ball really well. And you, you know, you kind of with really talented freshmen, I guess I'll put it this way, really talented freshmen, they'll flash like that, right? And you just kind of wonder, am I seeing, you know, just the flash, or is this something that is going to be a theme as the season goes on? And you know, a few starts does not a season make, but it it seems like that duo is really leaning towards it being the latter and that these guys are just ready for this in a way that, you know, Blade Tidwell was more or less ready for last year. I mean, he faded a little bit down the stretch because he threw almost a hundred innings as a freshman. And that, you know, by the way, will be something to watch with these two guys is, you know, are they really going to be able to run through the finish line or will we see them taper off a little bit as not only the book gets out on them, but also they're just going to have an innings load greater than really anything they've, they've had before to this point. So that, that will be obviously a factor to watch, but that really the emergence of those two guys, in addition to the, the, the pieces that we knew they were going to, to have, you mentioned the bullpen guys. Um, and, you know, you had a pretty good feeling about Chase Dollander cause he was pretty good at Georgia Southern last year. Um, those were relative certainties, but those two guys think have really changed the way you can think about this Tennessee team because they're, yeah, the offense is great. That's absolutely true. I wrote about that after leaving Houston, but the pitching staff has held its own uh, to say the absolute very least. And this is a team that could beat you on the mound as well. And I don't, I don't think that was something I, I thought there were nights when Tennessee could beat you on the mound, Um, you know, probably on a Friday night, right. When they use their top bullpen guys and, you know, whoever they're, we thought it was going to be Tidwell, uh, but you know, maybe Dollander starts on Fridays and you just think, okay, those are the games they're going to win. And then the rest of the weekend, they're going to have to beat you off offensively. And that necessarily hasn't necessarily come to pass with this team. I, I think it's a, it looks like a really well-rounded team. They'll, they'll have 
continue to have week after week tests here, but but so far it's a group that's just passed everything they've they faced with flying colors. Tennessee also, I think, has gotten some stink uh, for their schedule early in the season. Yeah, they played Iona, and look, uh, I didn't say anything positive about them playing Iona. Um, and they played Rhode Island, and those two teams to this point are combined two and 30. Um, they were both winless for up until this weekend. I think Rhode Island won some games this weekend. But yeah, so they have those two things on the schedule. But this is also a team that went to Texas to play in the Shriners College Classic. They played three Big 12 teams, including at the time, number one, Texas. Uh, they now have played South Carolina and they played a Georgia Southern team that's 13 and seven and is expected to compete in the Sun Belt. Um, it's not a bad schedule. Like it, it, it's not a murderer's row, but you can't just write off what Tennessee is doing right now as a result of their schedule. Uh, yeah, they, they had two, two weekends that, you know, against teams that, that have really, really struggled out of the gate. Uh, but the rest of the schedule has, has been pretty solid. And any, any lingering concerns about what Tennessee is or isn't are going to be resolved over the next two weeks. Uh, we keep touching on the fact that they play Ole Miss this weekend. Well, they follow that with a trip to Vanderbilt. So we're going to find out over the next two weeks what Tennessee can and can't be. These are obviously not only their two biggest tests to date, but they're going to be their two biggest tests uh, of the regular season uh, in all likelihood. So very excited about where Tennessee is and excited about what these next two weeks uh, hold for, for the Vols. Uh, Joe, since I was in Baton Rouge and I saw AM and I saw LSU play all weekend, uh, might as well, might as well get some thoughts in there. What I saw this weekend from AM was, was very good. They win the series. Uh, there were three close games and AM found a way to win on, on Friday and Saturday. They, they get the runs across in the ninth inning. Uh, both of those games were tied going into the ninth and, and AM on the road finds a way to win. And I think there's a lot to be said uh, just for that fact alone. I was also very impressed with the quality of at-bats that AM had this weekend. Uh, the games all weekend were incredibly long. They played for about five hours on, on Saturday. And there are a lot of reasons for that. LSU ran through a lot of different pitchers. You know, there are reviews. There's all the rest of it. Uh, but part of the reason they played forever is because AM kept fouling pitch after pitch off. Uh, they just really hung in there and, and had some really patient, really disciplined at-bats. And it, it really paid off for them. And Jim Schlossenagel told me, you know, they've had games where they've had, you know, that kind of approach throughout the season, but it hasn't been as consistent as it was this weekend. I mean, if AM is going to start doing that, uh, I, I think that they they can really make some strides here. Um, in, in terms of, of pitching, you know, AM is still working some things together. It's LSU got to them. LSU is going to get to every single pitching staff they face this year, you feel like. Uh, so I, I wouldn't worry too terribly much about that. I would, I would mostly just focus on the fact that AM went on the road, first true road test of the year. They go on the road, they win a series. Uh, that, that's a big, that's a big weekend for the Aggies. And then on the flip side, LSU did not play well at all this weekend. And yet they were in a position to win all three of these games. They got it done on uh on Sunday. 
they they pushed the go-ahead run across in the eighth inning. They were tied going into the ninth, both on Friday and Saturday. And uh, Saturday required a big comeback for them to do it. Uh, but you know, they, they were three close games. LSU didn't get it done uh, it, at home, and that's tough. But I, I think considering how poorly LSU played, uh, you know, they had two errors uh, in every game. Uh, this weekend, they're fielding 951 on the season. That's a big talking point right now uh, around LSU, but uh, they walked 18 batters in the series. Uh, they were out hit on the weekend. Considering all of that, the fact that they were in position in the ninth inning in all three games to win, I, I, I think says a lot about where the ceiling for this team is if they're able to correct some of these issues in the pitching and defense. Um, and you know, time will tell how much they're able to correct the issues. Some of them, you know, like Jay Johnson said after the game, there's no free agency. This the team is the team right now, uh, and that's true. But they also, I, I feel like, you know, they're they're going to LSU is going to go. Johnson said they're going back to the drawing board in terms of pitching, and what they're going to come up with ultimately, I think, is something that is not reliant on traditional starters because LSU right now doesn't have guys that they can run out there for six, seven innings. So they're going to come up with something. And I would like to think that I, I, I will give them the chance. I, I think it can work, whatever it is they come up with, that they can find a way to put their guys in a position to be successful. And then defensively, I, I mean, it's probably never going to, they're, they're, this team this year is not going to become a pitching and defense team. And frankly, no LSU team under Jay Johnson is going to be pitching and defense uh, centric, but this team specifically is absolutely not going to. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they have to field 950 all season long. Uh, so I, I think they can get better there and probably will get better. Where they go over the next two months is going to be fascinating to watch. But if they just make some moderate improvements, considering what they can be offensively, how quickly they can strike, how they can score runs in bunches, they don't need anything more than moderate improvements to become a real problem team. Uh, for whoever draws LSU in a regional. Yeah, I think that's all true. I mean, I think they're defensively, I just think they're kind of stuck. Like they they just are going to have to get better with the guys they have defensively. Um, because uh, I, I'm not sure that you really want to move Jordan Thompson at a shortstop, right? And like he's nine errors on the year. Like he's been one of the the guys who has struggled the most defensively. And we obviously know that Jacob Berry doesn't really have a necessarily a, a natural landing spot. So like, I just think that the guys they have are the guys they have, and they're just going to have to try to make it work with that, that unit. So um, it does feel like for better or worse, they are kind of stuck with what they have from a defensive alignment standpoint um, on the mound. I, I do think that's interesting. I, well, first of all, going back to the drawing board in the mound and not using traditional starters means that uh, my condolences to the, the, the sizable LSU beat. Um, make sure you have a comfortable seat in the press box. Maybe bring like an extra cushion. A I mean, back look, support they tried traditional kind. starters this week and they played like a total of like, I don't know, 13 hours of baseball this weekend. So whatever it yeah. is, like, you know, it yeah, it, it's just going to be, gonna be yeah. I mean, it, it's just a team that like, I, I mentioned this after the Minute Maid tournament, I was like, I think this is just a team that's going to play a bunch of four hour games, you know, because their games at, in Houston were slow too. And like, I am saying that is a bad thing. Like as an observer, it is not fun. Uh, and by the way, like the coaches would rather not play that long either, like in a perfect world, they're not choosing it necessarily, but if it's what you have to do, it's what you have to do. Right. Um, 
So, and I do think they're on the mound. Like, I think there are, there have been some, some bright spots, you know, with, um, you know, Eric Razelman is, has pitched well. And then Samuel Dutton, I think has pitched well. And then you've got really guys who are just, you can bank on like Devin Fontenot and, and, and Trent Vintmeyer who have been, uh, just really solid throughout their entire careers. I do think there is a core there. You can kind of, you can kind of piece around, uh, but I will be fascinated to see, uh, what kind of comes of this unit because I came out of, see, I came out of seeing them and I, I guess I'm, I'm curious for, for your thoughts as well, that just who on this pitching staff, if you were, you know, if, if you were put in charge, if you were Jason Kelly, like who would you be looking to as these are the core pieces of something we're going to put back together as a pitching staff, because I just wasn't sure there, there's some good stuff on the staff, right? You know, Ty Floyd, for example, great raw stuff, you know, Eric Razelman at his best and healthy, great stuff. But who, who on the staff is someone who you look at as somebody who can go out in, in the sec and really get outs on a consistent basis night after night. Um, I was less sure about that when I saw them in Houston. I mean, my question is who has swing and miss pitches on this staff? I know they exist, but we didn't see them this weekend, particularly. And some of that's AM's approach. They were determined to fight off anything. But again, the reason part of the reason they played so long is that AM was refusing to be put away. And that is something who, whoever those pitchers are. Like whoever has the best slider and whoever has the fastballs that can miss bats, like those are the guys that need to get highlighted. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what they come up with here, whether it's piggybacks, whether they're trying to open it, you know, whatever it is, maybe they do look at it and they just wind up with traditional starters. I don't think that's going to be the answer because it sure wasn't the answer uh, this weekend, but they, uh, it, it will be very interesting to see what they come up with this weekend in Florida. Um, and, oh, yeah, by the way, LSU has to go to Florida this weekend. Uh, so whatever whatever they're dealing with, they're, they're going to have to deal with it against a really tough team on the road. And uh, losing this weekend was far from optimal for a number of reasons. But I think the biggest reason is that, you know, you lost, you lost a home series against the team that finished last um, or second to last, whatever AM was last year in the in the SEC West. And you know, the the way the West is this year, it, it we talked about it, it doesn't look like a gauntlet right now, but you know, you, you still can't be uh missing opportunities in, in home series because you gotta get these wins somewhere. And in the SEC, it's it's just not easy to do that. We talked earlier about Louisville, just just real quick their their series went over series sweep of Notre Dame really kind of changes the trajectory there i think a similar thing of AM they've got auburn at home then they go on the road to take on alabama then they've got kentucky at home the next three weekends those are i mean if they if they can do this to lsu and baton rouge like they can win all of those series um so this is an opportunity for AM to really kind of make some hay and put themselves in a position where they have their wind at their back when they get to the difficult portion of their SEC schedule because that is coming, uh, but it's not really necessarily coming these three weekends on the spectrum of SEC series. Now, those three teams are also looking at AM and saying like, yes, they did this against LSU, but that's a team that we feel like we can win a series against. So maybe they're more toss-ups, but 
if a and going to be a regional team, I think they're going to make their Hades next three weekends. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And I, I don't think that, you know, you can, if you're an A&M fan, you should not be penciling in three straight or four straight series wins to open SEC play. First of all, it usually doesn't work like that. Second of all, yes, like those, those teams are also looking at A&M. But this specific week, they go home or they, 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 go, uh, they go to Rice on Tuesday and then they go home to Auburn. This is a real chance to build on what momentum you built at, at Baton Rouge this week. A&M has to have a good week. They have really struggled this season to string together any, anything. If you look at their, uh, their schedule, it's a bunch of like win two games, lose a game, win two games, lose a game, win, win a game, lose two games. It, it's a bunch of that. They can't do that this week. They really need to go out and get three wins this week uh, and, and get something rolling here as we, uh, as we start to um, edge towards April. Uh, all right, Joe, quickly, um, Georgia won a series against Mississippi State. This was maybe the strangest SEC series of the weekend. Uh, Georgia won on Friday night. 11 to nothing. Jonathan Cannon was outstanding. Uh, then the two teams played a 13 to 12 game on Saturday, which Georgia won. And then Mississippi State won 20 to three on Sunday. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, quickly, what do you make of that? Well, <laughs> it's a great question. Um, I, I think that it shows, I think that the biggest thing I took from it is that Georgia is capable of winning ugly because I, I was less sure of that coming into the weekend. And I think in the sec, unless you're, um, you know, Vanderbilt the last two years, or, you know, um, just one of these teams that, that really runs the, the runs the gauntlet in the sec and, and puts up a gaudy record. Like for the most part, you're, you're going to have weekends in the sec where you have to win ugly. And I wasn't sure that Georgia had necessarily had that in them. Like, could they win games when Jonathan Cannon pitched really well? Absolutely. You know, can they win games four to two when things go right? Sure. Um, but them winning that middle game of that series ugly the way they did um, showed me that they're kind of capable of winning that kind of slugfest and taking some haymakers and returning them to use that metaphor. That's a skill. I think, well, first of all, I think that is a skill. It's also something I wasn't quite sure Georgia had in its arsenal. So the, the idea that they do, I think, makes me feel a little more optimistic about their ability to really uh, fight through the SEC schedule. And it's kind of what I said leading into the weekend, where, first of all, if Mississippi State has any sort of like high-end ceiling left, I think we might see it this weekend against a team like Georgia that I thought was just kind of a really nice, above-average SEC team. Um, we obviously did not see that, although Mississippi State did blow them out on the Sunday game, like you mentioned. But, but then on the flip side, I mentioned that, you know, if for Georgia, this is really an opportunity to kind of um, do something they haven't always done, which is, you know, win a series against a, a team like this that feels like it's maybe in a similar position in the SEC, in a similar place in the pecking order, even though one team is ranked and one's not. And they did that. Um, so I'm with you in that I don't, because of the ugliness of it and because of just the general wonkiness of it, where you have a blowout on either end and then a slugfest in the middle, I, I never really know what to do with those kinds of series. And oh, by the way, it felt like we had a few of those this weekend. Um, shout out Wake and Georgia Tech. I think Miami and Clemson was the same way. Um, I never know exactly what to do with that. 
but I will just say that I liked seeing Georgia able to win a game in that way. I wouldn't have necessarily bet on that coming into the series. Let's head out west. Um, the series is still in progress because they started on Saturday, uh, playing Saturday to Monday. It are Arizona and Stanford, but we already have, we, we, we know who wins the series because Arizona went out and won the first two games uh, in Tucson. They won three to two on Saturday night. That game had a crazy finish with uh, Mac Bingham throwing out the uh, potential tying runner at the plate to end the game in the ninth inning. And then on Sunday, Arizona comes back, wins the se- wins the series uh, with a, a five run comeback in the eighth inning uh, to to go ahead and, and claim the victory. Kind of stunning Stanford there uh, in heartbreaking fashion the last. Last couple of days, uh, big, big series win for Arizona, a really tough series loss for Stanford, which has now lost its first two Pac-12 series of the season. Uh, Stanford really needs a win uh, here on Monday if they, uh, you know, if they could get that, get out of town at two and four, that just is going to feel a whole lot different than one and five, but uh Really entertaining series to this point. Uh, fantastic finishes in, in both games, and, and Arizona comes out with, uh, a, again, a, a really big series win. Stanford's going to like pay me to stop. Well, they're going to pay me to just stay glued to their games because in both, in both of these games, I was watching it. Stanford had a lead late, and because they were taking a lead into late innings, I was kind of I, I kind of started to drift towards other games. This was especially true yesterday where – you know, Stanford gets a run in the seventh and then two runs in the eighth, the, the, the runs in the eighth on home runs for Carter Graham and Braden Montgomery. And it's five to one. And I'm like, okay, like I'm going to flip to something like another pack 12 game. Cause at that point it was later in the afternoon. And then of course I, I was like shocked to see that Arizona ended up winning that game just cause it felt pretty, it felt pretty over at five to one. Right. The night before was a little different cause it was only two to nothing. But even then I was, I was flipping between things. Um, and was surprised, you know, I, I missed the, 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 the full Arizona comeback there. So Stanford's going to, uh, I can be bought Stanford by the way, to just like sit there and watch all your games, <laughs> um, without flipping back and forth. But if you're Stanford, you have to be demoralized that they, they did the thing that we think that we thought they needed to do, right? Like Alex Williams was awesome in the first game of the series on Saturday with his seven innings and they, you know, Susak got on base, but didn't have any hits and they held Arizona's lineup to six hits. And, you know, two of those six came from their nine hitter. So like, okay, that's, you know, not ideal, but it's, you know, you're, you're not letting their best guys beat you. And then even the next day, Quinn Matthews was, was pretty good, was pretty solid when you consider how good the Arizona offense is. I mean, he got into the um, eighth inning really well. The The line doesn't look amazing because the comeback started against Quinn Matthews, but like he right. got into the eighth inning with a, a four run lead. Yeah. So they, they did everything we asked them to do and it just didn't matter. Like Arizona just had comebacks in the bag and sometimes that happens. But so if you're Stanford, it's one of those classic, you know, you feel pretty good because you were right in both games. You were winning both games. You, depending on your definition of it, it seemed like they had those two games wrapped up, but on the other hand, you didn't win them. And now you're to your point, they really, it really does feel like they need to win on Monday. Um, because they're nine and seven right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and the, the resume, you know, really at this point, like they, they beat Arkansas in that, in the round rock tournament. And 
you know, that's, you know, we, we had a, a little bit of a debate about where to put them obviously from losing the series, but also just from like, what do you, what are they hanging their hat on at this point? So like, it's, it's a, another team that we really believe in the talent, but the results just aren't necessarily there. From an Arizona perspective, um, you know, you talked about with Georgia, not knowing if they could win ugly. I, I think this was big learning that Arizona could win some low scoring close games. Uh, and it seems like Arizona is starting to find its core on the mound. TJ Nichols was really, really good on in, in game one, uh, held Stanford to two runs on eight hits and in eight innings. Garrett Irvin delivered a quality start on, on Sunday. And I mean, that's kind of just what we expect Garrett Irvin to do. They found some guys in the bullpen. Holden Christian uh, has two saves and Trevor Lawn um on on saturday picked up his first career save he did give up his first runs of the season uh on sunday but it seems like those are the two bullpen arms they want to get to the most and i mean so you're just starting to see some things click together uh pitching wise for arizona and that's big because this is a team that we figure is going to score runs their offense isn't clicking on full cylinders right now but you know i i figure that that's going to come and they, they have the pieces to do it. But if they can find a way to, to win some of these close, low-scoring games in the Pac-12, that's, uh, that, that's going to be huge for them going forward as, as they try and compete for a Pac-12 title. Yeah, I think uh, TJ Nichols, you mentioned him. I think uh, you know what he did this weekend was big um, because I, he had been very solid to start the season. You know, his, the numbers were pretty good. You know, he'd done everything they'd asked for him. He had a little bit of a rough start against Cal, but it wasn't it wasn't an apocalyptically bad start. But I, I, I kind of I don't know that I ever voiced this on the podcast because I, I didn't want to jump to a conclusion. But I was starting to wonder: Is he going to dominate? Though, like, is he just going to be pretty good um, and, and not dominate? Because there's a difference there. Like a pretty good starter, you know, wins you a lot of Pac-12 games and has you know a sub three era and you know looks pretty good on the on the stat sheet but then gets to a super regional or gets to omaha and you realize very quickly that he's not on the level of some of the teams you're going to end up facing in those big games but what he showed in his start against stanford this week was a little more of that dominant uh side you know he, he gets into the ninth inning couldn't finish it uh but eight strikeouts uh that's the most he's had other than a start um, against Milwaukee earlier, and obviously Stanford and Milwaukee are uh, two very different teams. Um, so I really thought he took a step forward in terms of showing that he's, um, you know, uh, took a step up from where he'd been earlier this season. Because I, I was starting to wonder if, you know, he was going to be good, not great this season. And I think he he kicked the door ajar a little more to show that he could be great. Before we wrap this podcast up, let's uh, let's go back to the ECC. Let's let's finish where we started. Let you know, closing the circle. Um, we talked about Louisville and Notre Dame already. Uh, some other intriguing results around the conference. Uh, Florida State won a series against North Carolina State. That was a very late affair. Uh, they played a doubleheader on Sunday because of some bad weather on Friday, and it took 17 innings, but Florida State uh, finally did dispatch with the Wolfpack uh, to win the series. Wake Forest went to Georgia Tech and won a series. They won 27 to seven on Saturday. 
uh, and they won on Friday behind a good start from Rhett, Loud Rhett Louder before Georgia Tech uh, won in a route on Sunday. Uh, you had UNC going down Tobacco Road, um, down 15-5-1, actually, as, as it were, to beat Duke. And uh, UVA keeps rolling offensively, and Miami goes to, to Clemson uh, and wins a road series. Uh, Joe, from that, what, what did you like? What, what, did you, uh, what did you learn this weekend? You know, I... I really was interested in in Wake Forest winning that series over Georgia Tech the way they did. And I think you and I agonized quite a bit over leaving Wake Forest out of the top 25 because, you know, it kind of came down to, do we bring in Miami? Do we bring in Wake Forest? We ultimately decided Miami's total body of work just a little bit better than what Wake Forest had. But I think you and I are kind of inclined to think that maybe Wake Forest is the better team of the two when it comes right down to it. You know, when you when you combine this with how well they played Florida State to begin ACC play, it seems just incredibly clear that this is a team that is uh, has already shown. Like I was going to maybe caveat that a little bit. There's still a lot of season left. That is true. But I mean, they've already done more this year than they showed last year um, in terms of, of what they're capable of. And another test coming this weekend against Virginia. I'm looking forward to, to getting out to Winston-Salem for some of that series. Uh, that's another big one. It, you know, if they can play well in that series, I mean, winning it, it would be great. But I mean, even just playing well in that series, I think would would continue to to prove that point. Um, but to, to slug with Georgia Tech, I mean, that's that, there's that that's impressive stuff. And I think on the on the flip side of that, Georgia Tech's pitching woes, they just I mean, it just makes you want to scream into a pillow, frankly, you know, and you, you like smush your face into a pillow and just scream so nobody can hear it like. Like, man, that offense is so good. And man, they really struggle to find a pitcher who can stream together outs. Like, it's just such a struggle. And it's, <laughs> you just, you see the potential, how many games they could win if they even just had like an average pitching staff. And they're, it's just such, such a, uh, <laughs> you can hear the frustration in my voice because it's just, they, they, they um, it, there's just always this, this constant cycling through guys to try to find the guy who can get outs on a given day. And it just seems like they're, they're never really quite sure who that ends up being. So um, the other thing I would say about, I think, I think it says some good things about Miami, Miami. It tends to be this kind of team, but that was a road series win. That's big. It's typically a team that plays pretty well in Coral Gables is a lot more inconsistent on the road. I guess maybe the jury is still out on Clemson to a greater degree than, than maybe we thought, but I think that's still a team we think is improved and it's a road series and, and it, what's typically a pretty good environment in Clemson. I think that's a positive step forward for this, for this Miami group and, and maybe trying to, uh, to do something they don't often do, which is be more consistent on the road. Yeah. I thought that was big that they did this on the road. They hadn't been on the road really uh, to this point this year. Uh, and they, uh, they went out and they handled it just fine at Clemson. Uh, the, the thing that stood out to me for Miami this weekend was the way they pitched, uh, both in it, both for good and for bad. Carson Palmquist bounced back from a, a rough outing a week ago. He was really good on, on Friday night in the win. Carson Ligon had, has spent like the last two weeks in the rotation now, maybe it's three weeks, uh, the last couple weeks in, in the rotation in any event. And he's been, he's been very good. Um, and it, it seems like they found something uh, in, in him and uh, 
Miami held held the Tigers to one run on Saturday in that win. And then on Sunday, Clemson scored 20 runs. And this happened so many times this weekend that there's just this one weird outlier game in the series. Uh, you know, Clemson scored 20 on Sunday. Mississippi State scored 20 on Sunday. Uh, Wake scored 27 on Saturday. Um, Oregon State scored 20-something on, on Friday. UCLA scored 25 on Friday. And, and these teams didn't do anything close to that the rest of the weekend. So I don't know I don't know what got into college baseball this weekend. Uh, but, but specific to the Miami pitching staff on Sunday, they had Alex McFarland going on Sunday. Uh, Clemson started that offensive onslaught against him. Clemson also eventually got to... Alejandro Rosario, who was Miami's opening day starter, but you know has uh, you know since been been taken out of the rotation, and uh, so I don't know whether you know that's a one-off or whether that's something indicative of going forward for Miami that they really need to to shore up. Um, but the uh, the Miami pitching staff started the weekend so well and then got punched real hard on Sunday and. It just seems like they're still trying to find the right pieces there. Uh, so that, that's one thing I'm looking at with the Hurricanes moving forward. Yeah, don't, I don't want to give too short shrift to, to North Carolina because they, you know, they kind of continue to impress. They're now inside the top 15, um, 17 and three overall. They're five and one in their first six ACC games. Uh, you know, Duke and Pitt do not represent the best of the ACC at this point. However, that is pretty impressive to take care of them with, with such little drama. Uh, the offense continues to be more physical than they were last year. I think that's something that we we latched onto pretty quickly this year. Is hey, you know, this does look like a different a different offense, and so and that's really with you know. By the way, Alberto Asuna's hit some home runs, but he's sitting 250 and has a really high strikeout rate, and Mac Horvath is sitting 200. Um, so even with those two guys, uh, different varying degrees of, of struggling, um, they've they've really had a pretty good offensive attack, even without them, you know, the freshman Vance Honeycutt, eight home runs so far this season. Um, that's pretty impressive, you know, 14 stolen bases for him. He's just been so dynamic at that leadoff spot. And, um, you know, the question now becomes like, is his floor is clearly very high for what he can do this season, but is the floor is like what justice Thompson maybe was last year where justice Thompson got off to just an incredible start tailed off as the season went on, but was still ultimately one of their better offensive pieces that feels like the floor that's a pretty doggone good floor um you know but this is a guy that is you know already has his eye on you know freshman all-american type stuff um that's the type of season he's already having um and it's just been a huge piece of of turning this carolina team from a team that like really was just stuck in neutral offensively for large stretches last year into a group that that does feel like um a dangerous unit overall all righty very intriguing stuff around the conference. The ACC remains very interesting. And hey, if the SEC isn't going to eat up all the spots in the top 25, uh, the ACC so far at least is stepping up and, and taking theirs as uh, both Wake Forest and Miami moved into the top 25 this week, joining a bevy of their conference mates. So Louisville moved into, um, not Wake Forest, Louisville and Miami. It's been a long day. It's been a long weekend anyway. Uh, that's going to do it for us on the Baseball America College podcast, in part because I have a flight to catch soon, um, and in part because we got through what we needed to get through. 
You can check out plenty more over at baseballamerica.com. You got the full top 25 off the bat, all the usual stuff um, wrapping up the weekend. You can also read Joe's dispatch from Wilmington on Saturday. He saw the Seahawks against Ohio State, and uh, I wrote about Texas A&M over the course of the weekend as well. So make sure to check all of that out over at baseballamerica.com. We'll have plenty more coming throughout the week as well. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And make sure you're following the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us and make sure you are subscribed because we go twice a week during the season here on Mondays, wrapping up the weekend. And then on Thursdays, previewing the weekend to come this weekend to come is a very, very big weekend. We mentioned Ole Miss and Tennessee. That's definitely the highlight. You also have some intriguing ACC series. You have the Big 12 really starting conference play in earnest. There was one conference series this week. Uh, Obviously, we didn't get to it here on the podcast with TCU and Baylor, but the rest of the Big 12 gets into conference play this week. And it starts with a blockbuster as Texas is headed to Texas Tech. Uh, So a lot happening across the country uh, next weekend. So we'll have all of that preview content for you uh, in your in your favorite podcasting app on Thursday. So be sure to check that out. Until then, for Joe, I'm Teddy. Thank you for listening. New year, new credit scores. Chime makes it easier to build credit by using your own money to make on-time payments with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a qualifying direct deposit. There's no annual fee or credit check required when applying. Get started at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary.